God, we love you so much. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you. Lord, I, 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 I say those words, and I feel them falling very short. Just to say, it just doesn't seem enough to just say, I thank you for your love for me. Because that just doesn't even begin to express the, 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 the greatness of your grace, the kindness of your, your calling to repentance, the kindness of the way that you lead and correct and love and, and, and build up and tear down all for our good and your glory, God. But Lord, I say it nonetheless because I don't have any better words. I thank you for your love and your love, Lord, and your goodness. You set us apart for your purpose, and you did that, and you invited us in by coming in the flesh in Christ and your son. His life could be given for me. And that in his death, I can surrender, lay down my life, and in his resurrection into new life, I can find new life. So yes, Lord, there's struggle in this world, but yet my hope is not in this world. I just find great comfort in that. So now as we come to your truth, to your word today that you gave us, that expresses your love, your character, all that you are, I just pray, Lord, that you would break into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, Lord, that we could know freedom, and that we could know purpose, and Lord, that we would simply live out who you have made us to be. So we give you this time. Lord, speak through me or in spite of me. I am a cracked vessel. Your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, so go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 7 if you have them. If you don't have a Bible, the uh, text will be on the screen, or there's also some Bibles under your chairs. Feel free to grab one. Uh, oh, also, I meant to tell you, does anybody in here use the, the Bible app, version? If you do... I want to invite you to go to it, go to your events, search the Bridge Montrose, and we just did a little experiment this week. I should have said it a long time ago, because you're just going to take you a second to get there. But uh, if you use the Bible app, go there, go to events, search the Bridge Montrose. It should just pop up if your, geo, if your GPS is on. Click on it, and it's got kind of a guide to help you through the message with us today. And so just a fun little, again, some people like technology, some, some don't. So challenge by choice, use it if you want. So... Um, if you don't know what that is and you're curious, again, we'll talk about it afterwards. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you're, you're using that, that, that one there, please feel free to take that. Let that be our gift to you. We would love for you to have that. So Matthew 7, we're continuing in our teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, two weeks ago, the last time we taught, I said that that, that verse, that was in Matthew 7, 1, judge not or you will be judged, was probably the most misused and abused verse in all of Scripture. The whole, you know, that whole like, hey, don't judge me. You know, if you judge me, you'll be judged. And like, there's, you know, that, that kind of whole kind of thing. Well, this week, as we come into our next section, starting in, in verse 7, I would say we come to one of the most misapplied concepts in all of Scripture. So let's just go ahead and jump in with a couple of verses here. Matthew 7, 7 through 8 is where we're going to start. And it says this. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So what is that what's the misapplication of that verse that we see there in verse 7 and 8? You know, 
and I would say the misapplication is this, this idea that, that God is beholden to our requests, that, that whatever we ask, we get. I mean, it's the name it and claim it, right? Like that, hey, all you got to do is name it. You just got to believe and you will get it. Or, or that our obedience necessitates and obligates God to an earthly and material blessing. That's the misapplication of this. And we see, we see this, this promise, and we'll see that it's a promise communicated throughout Scripture, but it's just ripped out of context into where it's taken to just be this thing that's all of a sudden about us. And as we know, all of God's truth, all of this in this, is really about Him and for His glory. So we see that misapplication. So we can go ahead and say now that we know that this passage doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that whatever you ask from God, he has to give you. It's not the blank check request that he's just like, here's your check, just ask for it, you're good. Really, our life is the blank check to God, right? So, um, but it's not that. And that's what we're going to pack, that's what we're going to unpack today is what is the right understanding and what is the promise of this, this verse. And remember, like Jesus has been teaching, this is Jesus' message. And so again, we're just following his, his leading, we're following his teaching, we're following the flow, we're following his momentum. So with that, it's helpful that we kind of look where we've come from really quickly so that we can see our way forward. And as Jesus has been teaching through this Sermon on the Mount, he started with the identity of Christ and the Beatitudes and therefore the identity of those who are in Christ. And then he kind of went into some other things. The responsibility says, hey, the, you as the people of God, the church, the, those who are in Christ, you're supposed to live as the salt and the light of the earth. And that is to be that you are the, the, the very workers of my truth. You're the ones who, again, live out the light of Jesus. You show people Jesus. You proclaim the truth. And so you see there's this weight of responsibility with this gift of a new identity. And we see that in being taught how to pray, as Jesus said, as we know as the Lord's Prayer, he said, when you pray, pray like this. We walked away with our understanding when we're taught how to pray. We were told that our prayers should be solely motivated by God being glorified. Our prayers should, our, the, the underlying foundational understanding is that all that we pray for, it, it should always culminate with God being glorified, and that that would happen by our wills being inclined to His. So that's the way in which He's glorified. So when we're praying, we're saying, God being glorified, and God, I'm praying to you, not that so that you could, your, your will could be mine, not, not so that you could do my will, but so that my will could be made yours, like so that you could conform my will to yours, and then my faithful, obedient life would be the thing that glorifies you. So we see that that's what, when he, when he taught us how to pray, that's what he taught us. So again, some weight of responsibility, right? And then we come into this thing like from, from a couple weeks ago of don't judge or you will be judged. And we go through all that and we saw the beauty of that. And then it culminates with this. And hey, just don't forget the measure at which you judge others, you will be judged yourself. And that's a little terrifying and sobering because we're saying that, okay, so I'm judging Hiro. I'm an earthly man, and while it would probably stink for Hiro, like because he would feel it, he'd feel the guilt, he would feel it, I'm just a man that has no authority over him. But what that passage is saying is like, hey, whatever measure you judge someone else, God, the, tr the sovereign just judge, 
measures that judgment unto you. So all of a sudden when he's saying, because when, when you wrongly judge someone else, you are sitting in the throne of their life. You are acting as their authority. That's the misapplication, the abuse of that text that we were talking about. And he's saying it's sobering because the judgment we're all under is a far greater judgment, a far righteous, a far more righteous judgment, a perfect judgment that actually has all authority. And so now, okay, so and it's just crazy as we teach through the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. It's just to me, for me personally, I'm just constantly like in this, just this wave of like, you know, I get up on this high and I'm like, God is so good. He's brought me into this promise. Then I'm like, oh, down in this trough. And I'm like, oh, but gosh, it's like terrifying because it's with great responsibility. You know, and, and, and man, what is beautiful is that as we move into today, as we come into today in these passages God knows his children. God knows his creation. He knows our need. Whoa, almost gave it away. He knows what's going on. He knows. And so he's speaking to the heart of right where we're at. Again, this is not just just thoughts strung along. This is, again, a cohesive teaching from Jesus. And at the very least, a cohesive teaching that God pulled together for his word. So here we are. What else do we know? just outside of what we've been taught already, outside of what, what Jesus has been teaching, just experientially in this world. We all know that in this world, there will be struggle. You're like, but God is good. And again, all of a sudden, you see why this can't mean name it and claim it. Because all of a sudden, if it means that there won't be struggle, then God is not good because I've, well, again, we'll get there. John 16 tells us this. It says, in the, it says, there will be trouble in this world. You, uh, I think it's 1633 if you want to kind of write that down and read it later. But they, it says, there will be trouble in this world. All right, so we, we know that we live in a world where there is struggle. It is a result of the fallenness of our world. It is the result of sin entering in. It is the corruption of, of what is good that causes struggle. So, as I said... We all know that we need help. We need it emotionally. We need it physically. Our bodies are decaying. I remember in my, my, my human growth and development class in college, the sobering day that my, when my professor said, the day you stop developing, you start dying. And I was like, wow, wow. You know, and so, but like that, we know, we know it. Like I'm almost... I'm, I'm turning 40 this year, and we were playing spike ball at our leader retreat this weekend, and I, I like to think myself graceful and athletic, and I was trying to make this play, and it, I don't know what happened, but it was, it was bad enough for Hyro to go, oh, 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 are you okay? And I wasn't even falling. I was just like stumbling, bumbling, fumbling, and he just was like, hey, man, body parts were going everywhere. I don't know what was happening, and it was just like, because I, I, I just didn't have it, and my back was about to break, and my, my knees were like, you don't have it anymore, and so just, re oh, thank you for your sympathy, whoever did that. That does not make it better, I'll tell you, <laughs> um, but, but we know we're in need emotionally, physically, mentally. Our, I mean, golly, like, our thoughts are weighed down, and we, and great, most importantly, we need, we need help in our souls, spiritually. So, it is in this tension and struggle that brings us to our truth from Jesus today, and it is simply said, we are in need. So, let's start with the three directives that we see in verse 7. We saw it, we already read it. It says, ask, seek, 
and find. Ask, seek, and find. This is basically a call to a posture of dependence. And crazily enough, we forget we're in need. Like that was all so real just then, right? You're like, yeah, I'm in need. Oh, yeah, I'm in need. We forget. And so like this, these, these three words, ask, seek, and find, they are in the present active imperative tense. You're like, great, what's that mean? I'll tell you. So it means they're presently happening, they will continue to happen, and they must happen. That's what it means. And so to think about like how, do, how we process this, we get we're in need we don't like receiving help for our need. And, and so a word of encouragement, it would be a grave mistake to understand this is just one more command or obedience checkbox that God has put in front of you. And all of a sudden, like, because again, it's really like a kind of a call and an invitation to prayer, but it's not just prayer, and that we'll see in just a moment. But, but we, what we want to see and what we want to marvel at is the great opportunity that we have been given in this, in this very active, very ongoing, and very uh, even assumed in a way, like to say that it's an imperative, it's like it, it, would, make, it would not make sense if this were not the case, it has such force behind it. Is it is it, it, it to? It's not even just that you must. It is you must, but it's just that it has to be there if you are a Christ follower. It has to be there. It doesn't make sense for it not to be. And and we all of a sudden we we feel that and we start withdrawing. We start drawing back and we start recoiling and we're like, I don't want something demanded of me. I want the goodness of it. I want the I want the freedom. I want the I want the need fulfilled. I want this to be taken away. But don't ask anything of me. And so we put this in this legalistic box and we put this in this this again this one more checkbox that I got to make sure to measure up to every day. And we cannot miss out on just the wonder of this. The marvel at it is that first off, that yes, this ask, seek, and knock is in this, this very much of this, again, present, active, and imperative sense. But also notice the definitiveness of which they're responded to. It says, it says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. What will lead us to marvel and just explode with gratitude so we understand the character of God that this is communicating, the invitation of God. This is Jesus speaking. Remember, God in the flesh, same all authority of heaven and earth. He's saying, hey, bring all your needs. They will be responded to. How they responded to is the key and how we keep from misapplying the truth. So he's saying, whatever you need, bring it to me. And, you know, one of the, my favorite kind of realities and phrases I, I say every now and then is that the practicality of God's truths and commands are an expression of his love. And this is just one more reminder that God's commands are for our good. Yes, they're for his glory, but they're for our good, too. So how are we to understand the rest of these first two verses? Let's read them one more time. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. So we already said it can't mean this whatever we ask we get. You know, we, so we said that. And part of our way 
helping us see that and, and kind of rest in that is, is we cannot, and we've already kind of alluded to this, we cannot remove this from the rest of the context of Jesus' sermon. See, there's an assumption here in Jesus' teaching as he exhorts us to this, to this call to active participation and experiencing of bringing our cares to God and entrusting his response. There's an assumption and it comes from the context of, of all that Jesus has taught in this message. What has he taught? He's taught the identity of a Christ follower is in Christ, as Christ is we are. Not equal, but in same relationship. The motives of a Christ follower we see for the glory of God and for the good of, of, of his redemptive work in this world. We see the ultimate goal of the Christ follower expressed, and we see the outwardly expressed life of a Christ follower. That's been taught throughout here. So those are assumed or presumed realities before we come to this text. So therefore, these prayers are assumed to come out of the heart, mind, spirit, life of this kind of Christ follower, of the person who is in Christ. D.A. Carson says, the Sermon on the Mount lays down the righteousness, sincerity, humility, purity, and love expected of Jesus' followers, and now it assures them such gifts are theirs if sought through prayer. And I'll tell you what, that is a great kindness of God. The very thing He requires of us, He provides the way for us to attain and live up to. So the question begs, what is the passionate pursuit of your life? What are the most important things to you? What pursuits are on your throne of your life. Again, thinking of this present active and imperative tense, it speaks to this, this constant, this constant posture, this constant pursuit. And again, so again, that's that's where we come to this question of what are we pursuing? That our pursuit of God is not just contingent on our circumstances, whether good or bad whether that our pursuit of God is only when it's good we praise Him or only when it's bad we cry out, not just our circumstances. We are in a constant state of need that comes out of our great purpose in this life. And just remember, like go back and revisit the Beatitudes. It's been a few months now. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those, that's saying, blessed are those who know their absolute need for grace. Blessed are, no, are those who know that they are dead in sin and unable to bring themselves back to life but in Christ they are made alive. Go check out Ephesians 2. Saying, blessed are you. It says, those who know their need. So what do we pursue the most? Do we pursue eternal things that have eternal impact? Do you see that? Do you understand? Do you, do you look at your life from the perspective that that is your reality? Again, if you have called on Christ... If you've said, I, I'm your child, I've sinned against you, but I need your grace, and I surrender, I acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and, and, and come in, change me, make me new. If that's you, let me just tell you, there is no other purpose for your life than to live out God's purpose, God's will for God's glory. And, and, and just to kind of free us up a little bit, we have to understand that it's often how we pursue what we pursue instead of just what we pursue. Now, again, of course, there are things that we shouldn't pursue. 
right? There are things that are obviously destructive out of bounds. But where we most often rest is where we take good things and allow our sinful desire, our, our false motives, our, our selfish ambition and conceit to corrupt the good things. Let us be reminded that all that is and has been created was created by God, and it was created good, and it was created for a good purpose in His glory. It's only, again, in the sinful desires corrupting that what is good is no longer good. So how do we pursue the things that we pursue, what are those things? I mean, like, let's just start simple, like just being a good friend. Like, how do we pursue that? How do we pursue being a good husband or wife, a good brother or sister, a good, a good professional? Let's fill in your application. Or how do you pursue success in the right way? How do you, like, how do you, again, is ambition wrong? No. Should we work hard? Yes. Should we work for the good of our company? Yes. But how do we do that in a way that honors God? How do we do that? How do you pursue being a good student? You know, is it just the grades? Is it just the academic accolades? Accolades? Is it, or is it something else? I loved Mary Kate's testimony we heard this week. She, I know she hates that I'm pointing her out, but it was just that story. Her journey to faith was very much of a, of a success in academics and, and learning and just the way that the Lord worked in her to bring her to that deeper fulfillment, that deeper, that deeper pursuit of that he, the pursuit of him and the relationship with him and how those things aren't bad, but yet now they're better because they're a walk of obedience as opposed to a pursuit of validation. How do you pursue to rightly the ultimate goal matters, right? First Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. In this very sermon earlier, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We have but one purpose in this life. For those who are in Christ, this is, this is it. You have no other purpose you can at night. For those who are, who are still seeking, who are still wondering, doubting, maybe you're sitting here and you don't know. You're like, ah, I'm not a Christian. Like, I don't know yet. This sounds interesting. Let me just tell you, you're not, you're not left out. The purpose is still the same for you. God created you for the exact same purpose. He created you for his glory. He created you to know this hope. He created you to know this peace. He created you to know your every need being fulfilled. But it only happens in Christ. I promise you, every other striving is empty and will hit a dead end. It will satisfy for a little while, and it will come up empty. The promise of God is that the best is last. The promise of the world is the best is now. So the promise, the offering, the invitation is the same for those who have surrendered life to Christ and those who are still just dealing with it and asking questions and seeking. The key is Jesus. So also, you know, if we're honest, we're thinking about the myths of application of this truth. We know that it wouldn't be good if we got everything we asked for, right? We've all, every one of us in this room have earnestly asked for things that we thought were good. We thought they were the best for us. We really wanted them, but they didn't come to fruition, 
And thankfully for hindsight, we can see that was a good thing. I like, I, 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 we were just talking about my, the foundations of my guitar playing was mid-90s country. And, uh, and so my repertoire outside of worship music is pretty much mid-90s country and, and sappy love ballads. Um, and so I, I, every time I think about this, I think of Garth Brooks. Some of, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Anyway, just wanted to share that with you. Um, <laughs> anyway, it was too, too good not to share. Um, but I, I am standing here in front of you because of that prayer. I mean, first off, just in line with that song, my wife, I, she is, my view of what I wanted in a spouse was so small, and I never prayed for what I got. What I got is so much better. My wife, ooh, I'm about to start crying. My wife is amazing. And not just that she's beautiful and she has a great laugh, which we all know, has a beautiful smile, like, but just the depth of her conviction. Like, if I'd have got what I asked for, I would have got a girl that was me. <laughs> and, and if you know me, that would have been horrible. So, <laughs> so we'll just leave it at that. But I'll, I'll also say I'm standing here in front of you as, as an elder and pastor of this church as a result of God not answering my prayers. As the Lord was leading, I, I was at a great ministry job in a great church, and I was like, in, in all of our life since we've been married was there. We got married in 05. I started working there in 05. We was there for eight years, and as the Lord started stirring this up, I was like, Lord, I don't want to leave. Like, it's good here. All of our friends are here. I get paid well. It's security. Like, you know, and like, we had gone through the 08 financial crash, and nonprofits were in like, we didn't even feel it, and so I was like, this is a secure place to be working in ministry, and it just, I was like, there's so many good reasons not to go, not to mention that I never wanted to lead pastor. I felt a strong call to ministry at 19, very much of a shepherding, pastoring call, but I was like, I will never be a lead pastor of a church, God. I'll do anything else. I'll never be a lead pastor, and I was like, my life is yours. Whatever you say go to, I'll say yes, but I'm not going to be a lead pastor, and so, I mean, God, you know, he just kind of like... <laughs> All right, we'll see, you know, so, but, but again, I am here as a result of God not answering my prayer. I mean, praise God he did. For the first time in my life, I cannot, I'm not looking to something else as if the Lord is preparing me for something else. I'm not, I'm not wondering what's next. I'm not dreaming of another place. I am a dreamer. I am a consummate, like, like way out there, like I, that's all I see. And yet I still see way out there, but it's always here. It is here. It is like you, you people are my people forever. If you leave, you're still my people. And I just, and so again, like that's only a work of God. And I'm so thankful. Like I, I had never known this confidence and comfort. And I get, I, and to say confidence, I mean just confidence in God's call. I'm still terrified every day, but it's wonderful. <laughs> and so it sounds wonderful, right? So let us just see this. We said, ask what did it say, right? It said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Let us just know God answers every single prayer. He hears and responds to every prayer that you bring to him. He invites you. He says, cast all your cares upon me. He means it. So he's saying, so we know he's saying, not only do you get, not only am I saying, come to me, not only is God saying, come to me, but he's also saying, I will respond every time. Talk about comfort. 
And then just so every answer that he works in our lives is guaranteed two things. One, that it will glorify him. What is your main goal? What is the main purpose of your life? God's glory. That's his creation. It is for his glory. So it will glorify him. And guess what? It will also be the best for you. It will. God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But all of his ways are infinitely better than our greatest moments. Just true. We have good moments, we have good intentions. But even in our best, I mean, just infinitely, like there's not enough zeros to try to tell you, like, to what power his ways are better than ours. And I, let's say, like, to the, yeah, anyway. I, I learned some big number, a zentillion or something this week or two weeks ago. I don't think that was it, but it started with a Z. Um, but that's still not enough. Googleplexes, still not enough. His ways are infinitely better than ours, even in our greatest moments. Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. And let me just, I, I love this thing I heard one time, this definition of the perfect gift. And we think about God answering our prayers, it's, it's Him, it's a, it's a gift. And I think about, so I heard this one time, and the definition of a perfect gift is that it is the gift that meets the need of the receiver and expresses the personality of the giver. Every bit of which, every bit of the ways that God responds is exactly that. He knows better what we need than we do. So he hears our requests, but he sees our hearts. He sees our souls. And he answers in a way that is best for us to that depth. And he's working his will in us through those answers. So we see that we're invited to bring all of our needs to God, and because He hears and responds to every one of our prayers perfectly, we can do so without fear. That's a comfort, right? But there's a greater comfort. We kind of foreshadowed it a little bit. Let's continue to read in our text as we kind of come down the home stretch here. Looking at verses 9 through 11, or which one of you, if his son asks him to, for bread, will give him stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Just a quick word of clarity before we move on. It says, if you then, who are evil, it's just a contrast. And it's not that we are absolutely evil. We are not as evil as we could be because we were created in the image of God. And his goodness is over us. Now, it's marred, right? But it's not totally marred. And then, and, but it's saying that you are finite. You are bound in the flesh. You contend with the flesh. Even if you are deliver, free from sin, made righteous in Christ, you, you're, you're still limited. So it's just a matter of like kind of the, it's a it's a it's a qualitative statement contrasting God's goodness with with us. It's not saying that we are absolutely evil. But as we read that, all of a sudden, praying without ceasing takes on a whole new life. All of a sudden, this comfort that we have to bring our need, hopefully, it it, it begins blooming even more into something even more alive. 
Because yes, our constant dependency for God and His work calls us to a constant posture of prayer and dependency, right? Of prayer and need. But when we think about praying without ceasing and how this brings to all, the, the, the glorious purpose of our lives calls us to prayer and the glorious relationship of our life with Christ, with God the Father, calls us to this constant experience of prayer and dependency. But what do we see here? We're also in this constant state of pursuit because we are in fellowship with a good, good, heavenly Father. Again, it's a worthy motivation because he is God who is sovereign and who is, who is omnipotent and, and, and all-knowing and who is good in that sovereignty. That's enough. But in his kindness, he is our good, good father. He is a father who loves. God's answers to our prayers are perfect and good, not just because he is our sovereign, all-knowing God, but also because he is our loving Heavenly Father, what is, what is the, I think it's a great question, like what is your view of God? What is my view of God? If it's not this, what is it? I think often we think God is an angry God. God is like this soft, pliable God. God as indifferent. God is ambivalent. This inconsistent God. I think often we view our, our prayers and our, 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 the, our request to God as kind of that letter we would write in elementary and middle school and for some maybe even high school and maybe some college, but to that, that little note that said, do you like me, yes or no? And then some people would write maybe in on their own when they couldn't just say no. You know, happened to me a lot. Um, Oh, another one. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but uh, the picture, our, our, our understanding, and our, the God that Jesus is pointing us to here, just has to blow all that out of the water. Yes, there is a wrath of God, but it's a wrath that is meant to call people to Him. Yes, there is a wrath of God, but it is meant to again only show His glory so that people would find the humility of themselves and surrender and say He is God and He is good and find life. Is God soft? No, he's tender, but he's not soft. Is he pliable? He listens, but his will will be done. Is he indifferent? No. It says it here, he created you and he cares for you. He'll, he'll give you what you need. Is he ambivalent? He is not inconsistent. He is always working for his glory and your good, and he wants you to be a part of that work. So how does your view change of God? How does your view of prayer change? How does your view of this life change if God is Father? If He is good in that Father? Because again, we know bad fathers. Some of us had bad fathers. But God is not a bad father. He is a good father. So how does that change our understanding of, of, of our dependency and our invitation and our need being being met at its deepest place. We can know that we are driven to this reality because we are in relationship. We are communing with a holy, sovereign God who is our good, heavenly Father. And so we said it changes this thought of praying without ceasing. 
you know, I think oftentimes we kind of put prayer in this place and, and, and as we pray until we're blessed. And I, th- I think we heard someone say that this weekend, but pray until we're blessed. But it goes beyond that, right? It's all of a sudden now it's communing, it's fellowshipping, it's abiding. Yes, it is a place to bring our needs, but even more importantly, it's a, it's a place to share relationship and to share life. And if you want to be, if you want to grow, if you want to be invested in, if you want to be sharpened by uh, uh, this interaction, I would far rather it be in relationship. And that's what God has offered. So God invites us to bring our every need, and He promises to fulfill our deepest need, and He does it as our Heavenly Father. It's relational. Praise God, it's relational. Jesus made it possible. Without Jesus, there is no relationship. There is separation. But in Jesus, our sin is taken. He took our sin, and his righteousness is given, and we are put in right standing, not only judiciously, but also as a family. So how does it change the way you see yourself, your life, your purpose in this life, your promise in this life, and the way that you commune with God when you see God this way as our loving Heavenly Father? In His love, He sent Jesus to bring us from death to life and give us a new name and a new purpose. We all want to have a stronger prayer life. Sadly, we're often motivated by guilt. This this reality eradicates that guilt because God is not checking off your prayer box, as we said, but rather inviting you in and enjoying the fellowship himself. He rejoices over you with singing as we see in Zephaniah. Not only is that we, it's not only that we pursue him, but he pursued us. Do you realize that? This is what we closed with. So yes, we're invited to this passionate pursuit of him, but let's not forget that he first pursued us. He came as Christ who took on flesh, who inserted into our world, who denied equality with God. He said it wasn't something to be grasped or held on to or claimed, but he humbled himself to take on the form of a man so he could come into our need. He came and knocked on our door as we see in Revelation 3. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who answers, I will come in and be in him, and he will be mine, they will be, and I will be theirs. So not only are we invited to pursue, but he pursued us first. He pursued us so that we didn't have to make ourselves better. He pursued us so that he could make us better. He pursued us so we wouldn't have to liberate ourselves, but he could liberate us. He pursued us so that we didn't have to to repair our image, but that he could repair our image in Christ. Seek his kingdom. Live for his will. Fight against sin in your life, but do it as a child of God. That's the glorious truth of ask, seek, and knock. Let's pray. Oh God, you're good. We love you so much. We thank you, Lord, that you are a glorious, sovereign God above every ruler and authority, God, that we can find great comfort and security and refuge in. And Lord, we also thank you that you are our our loving Heavenly Father, that cares for us as one who knows us, because you do. Lord, you have invited us into this passionate pursuit where all of our life is for you, and that what is lived for you is for our good. And Lord, you've invited us to, to, to walk in that as a child, 
who was without a family and was adopted in in Christ. So God, I pray against just shame and guilt, Lord, that, that we so often lean on to drive us, God, but that we, we would find this absolute posture and heart of gratitude and love because of your grace that moves us to this. And Lord, when we, when we let up, when we stumble, Lord, that we would just be confessional and as a child would to a, a loving parent, just come and ask for forgiveness and let the parent lead. Let you, our Heavenly Father, restore and teach us and to know that as a kindness. That's why it says in Romans that your kindness leads us to repentance because in that repentance and in that surrender, Lord, we grow and we find an even greater understanding of freedom and love. So I pray for us in this room, for those in this room that haven't come to understanding their, their, their invitation in Christ to relationship with you. I just pray for you to work in hearts and bring freedom or bring them courage to that place of surrender and finding life. And for the church, for those who are in Christ in here, let us not, gosh, let us not make the mistake of just relegating this call to dependency and pursuit into some some measure of earning favor. Let us not go through these days thinking that that something that we have is not yours and not for you. Something you've given is not for you. And let us go through these days, Lord, knowing that in every way that you work, it is for our good. You meet our deepest needs. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. We find great comfort in that. So, Lord, Continue to work this truth in us, God. Let us process this. Let us talk about this as, as friends, as brothers and sisters, as the church throughout the week. Let it not just be a Sunday thing. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.